I want to start with a mission statement. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Today, I want to talk about a guy named David. David's a very popular character in the Old Testament, but I saw a scripture in him that I'd never noticed before. I love it when I'm going through scripture and I find something and I go, whoa, 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 how many times have I read that? And I never saw that before. But David is about to go through it. David's about to have all kinds of problems in his family. It got so bad in, in his house, he had to leave. He had to run for his own life against Saul, his own father-in-law. And so he had to literally leave town. He had to get out of there before his father-in-law tried. His father literally tried to kill him several times in his home. So he's like, I gotta get out of here. And so he was on the run. So today's message is called, Where to Run When Life is Hard. Where to Run when life is hard. Let me pick up a scripture and this is right after David has left the palace, he's on the run. Saul is hunting him like a dog and he's on the run. And let's see the very first place David goes. Check it out. It says this in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David went to the town of Nob to see Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he saw him. Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? He was saying, where's the secret service? Where is your entourage of warriors to protect you, David, right? The king has sent me on a private matter, David said. Now, I can be honest with you, David, we could say David lied or we could say David covered for his family. How many of you guys honestly have had moments when you kind of had to cover for the family? Because you got a situation going on, you really don't want everyone to know. And, and, and this is a biblical principle that you're not supposed to take your, your dirty laundry and dump it out in front of other people. You're supposed to work it out in your family, Right? So David's like, I got a problem with my father-in-law. I got a problem with my family right now. I'm trying to work this out. I don't need to tell this guy about it, right? So that's what he's doing here, okay? So he says, where's your entourage? He said, the king has sent me on a private matter, David said. He told me not to tell anyone why I'm here. I have told my men where to meet me later. Now, what is there to eat? Give me five loaves of bread or anything else you have. We don't have any regular bread, the priest replied. Uh, but there is holy bread, which you can have if your young men have not slept with any women recently. I love that line at the end. Uh, yeah, your warriors can have it as long as you haven't slept with anybody recently. Don't you love that line at the end? Don't you love the grace right there? He's like, as long as your men have been really chaste and pure in the last, say, week. Don't you love the grace of God right there? It's like God knows that like, if, if we had to wait to have communion with him when we were all good, we'd never have communion. So God's like, can you just pull it off for maybe a couple hours, you know? Can you just be good maybe for like the weekend? You know what I mean? That, that's hard for some of us, right? You're like, I, God, forgive me. How many of you guys are in here? You're like, God, I just worship you today. And let's just pretend that nothing happened last night. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we need a little extra grace. You know what I mean? Like, could you just give me a little extra grace today, Lord? Just, just slow me up, right? And so he says, hey, you can have some of that bread as long as you're made ever slipping anyone recently, right? I, I love that line. He's acknowledging that. We got problems, we're sinners, right? But God, you've been good to me and I'm gonna do the best I can today. I love that. I don't know about you, but I need some grace like that. But I wanna point out, where did David go first? David ran to God. He went straight to the temple. He said, I need God before I need anything else. He ran straight to God. Let me ask you a question. What do you run to? We all have a coping mechanism, don't we? What do you run to when life gets tough? Is it food? Do you like the binge eat? I know I like that. Is it porn? Is it uh, racy social media? Maybe it's just social media in general. What do you run to? Do you run to binging on Netflix? Do you, or, or maybe it's worse, maybe you run to alcohol or maybe you wanna take a quick hit of something. Maybe, maybe you run to an old habit 
that started in college that no one really knows you still got going? What are you running to? Maybe you're running to an illicit relationship you shouldn't even be in. What are you running to? We all run to something and generally we run to something unhealthy. But when David got in trouble, look, David didn't always get it right. David messed up. We all know that, right? David messed up with a girl named Bathsheba. I mean, it was one of the biggest scandals in all of Israel's history. I mean, he, he blew it, right? And so he got, you know, thrown by a UFO, an unidentified uh, female object. <laughs> and so he had to get out of there, right? He had to, he, he had to, he had to run from her, but, but he didn't. He messed up. He ran to the wrong thing. So we've all ran to the wrong things a time or two in our life. But when we can learn to run straight to God when problems happen, then we are running straight to healing, straight to help, straight to resources, straight to the blessing of God, straight to his destiny. God has big plans for us. But what are you running to instead of running to God? Maybe your prayer today is say, God, forgive me. I keep running to the wrong things, the wrong people, the wrong places at the wrong time. God, I wanna learn to run to you. This is where David got it right. He got it wrong plenty of times, but he got it right here. He ran to God. And when he did, he ran in and talked to the priest. He said, hey, I'm also hungry. Do you have any food? Oh, I got some food for you. It's, uh, it's actually the holy bread. Now, let me tell you why this matters. Let me, let's just jump into the next scripture. He says, I can give you some, but I got to make sure none of your men have slept with any women recently, right? And David says this, don't worry, David replied. I never allow my men to be with women when we are on a campaign. And since they uh, stay clean, even on ordinary trips, how much more on this one. Since there is no other food available, the priest gave him the holy bread, the bread of the presence that was placed before the Lord in the tabernacle. It had been just replaced that day with fresh bread. Now this is important. David got the bread, but he, they took the bread out of the holy of holies, but they had replaced it with fresh bread. So now this bread has been what you call deconsecrated. So now you can eat it. Now let me tell you what this matters. If they would have ate bread from the holy of holies, it would have killed them instantly because that represented the presence of God. See, let me explain something. We cannot be in the presence of God with our sin without it killing us. This is why it's through relationship with Jesus that we are connected back to God. This is why we pray in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers. Why? Because I don't get access to God unless I go through Jesus because he covered my sin. That's the only way I can be in the presence of God. Does that make sense? So that is God's grace upon us. Jesus covers us with his blood. That's how we are consecrated. So this is, a, this is a, a prophecy as well that one day we will be able to partake of his presence anytime we want because of Jesus. So now you and I have direct access. David had to go to the temple to get to God, to, to hear from God. Now we are houses. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to go into anywhere. You just close your eyes and just say, God, I just need you right now. And he's there in an instant. Isn't that nice to know? He is there and he wants to speak to you and to me. So he says, don't worry, my men haven't been with any women. Normally they don't anyways, but for sure right now they're not, especially when we're on a campaign. What's a campaign? A campaign, I'm gonna write this down. A campaign is a focused season to bring victory. Let me say that again. A campaign is a focused season to bring victory. Think about it. We're about to go into a political season, right? And there's going to be a political campaign going on. People going from town to town to town, asking everyone to vote for them, right? It's a, it's a focused season. In fact, the closer they get to the day we vote, the more intense the campaign gets. At the end, I remember last uh, presidential campaign, uh, we had a candidate that was going from town to town. They were hitting four and five towns in one day flying all over the country. Why? It was focused. It was a, it was a ramp up of the season, right? 
Are you stuck in some particular area of your life and God may be saying, hey, it's time to do a campaign. You know, maybe you've tried a diet or two, but your health isn't turned around. Maybe you need a season, a campaign of eating strict alongside a strict regimen of exercise to where you turn your body around. Now, we know you can't eat like that all the time perfectly, but maybe there's a season you do it and you just maintain after that. Or maybe for you, it's a season in your marriage. Like we're really going through it. So I'm going to sit down with my spouse and we're going to one-on-one talk every day. It may be tough at first. It may be conflict. It may be some arguing, but we're going to work this out. And if we can't work it out, we're going to invite a third party in. We're going to get this worked out. It's a campaign, a season to turn my marriage around. Maybe for you, it's with your kid. You're like, I've got to sit down and have a specific time with my child every single day. I got to get this kid turned around. There's a season, a campaign to get a hold of their heart. Maybe for you, you're, you're not hearing from God and you're like, I need to hear from God. Maybe it's time to get alone with the word of God and seek him until you hear from him. You have a, a campaign, a season to hear from God. Maybe it's time for a campaign. I feel like I'm talking to someone today that's not getting the result you want and you realize that you gotta sometimes just go on a campaign. You gotta be a warrior. Warriors go on campaigns. Sometimes you gotta step that up. This is important. They say, yeah, we'll give you some of the bread. It's the bread that came out of the Holy Holies. I've essentially declassified it. I've, I've de-holied it, right? So you can eat it, right? It's not gonna kill you. And they ate that bread, but it represents the presence of God too. This is really important. Would you write this down? Nothing cleanses your life like a trial. So could it be that the men had to be more pure than ever because they were about to fight a battle for the Lord? Can I tell you something about the problem you're in right now? Maybe the problem isn't about the problem at all. Maybe the problem is about getting you centered back on God. So you think the issue is the person you're fighting with. It's not about them, it's about him. So you're getting your focus on him. Maybe you think, oh, I've got this legal battle. I can't get through. That's because God's trying to say, sit still and wait on the Lord and I'll make things happen. I don't know what you're facing today, but I want to tell you, it's not about what you're facing. It's about whether you're turning to God or not. God is saying, I will get your heart back however I have to do it. So I will let a, God will let a problem. God does not cause problems, but God will let a problem stay in your life longer than you want it to get your attention back on him. Let's be honest, what brought us back to church? Problems. Pain, difficulties, like I need to get my butt back in church. Have you seen what our kids would do lately? Let's get back to church. Our marriage is a mess. My life is a mess. I need to get back to God. Nothing makes you focus on the Lord like a trial, like a problem. So David goes to God, he's like, I got a problem, God. Saul's trying to kill me. I'm running to you. And so he does that. Then look what happens next. Now, Dog the Edomite, Saul's chief herdsman, was there that day, having been detained by the Lord. So so God was speaking to him, right? Detained means God had convicted him. He'd come to hear from God. But when he walks in, he sees David, his enemy. Because this is one of Saul's henchmen. He's one of Saul's guys that goes out, his goons that go out and get people. And he's standing there and David walks in. And he's like, you gotta be kidding me. Now you gotta remember, they don't have walkie-talkies. They don't have phones. There's no way to radio back and say, I got him, I got him, I got him, get over here now. So he's just thinking, I gotta get out of here and go tell Saul where David is. So David walks up, let me just put this in your mind. He walks up, he sees the priest. Hey, Ahimelech's like, whoa, where's your, where's your warriors? Where's your entourage? He's like, it's okay, it's okay. I had to leave pretty quick. And so do you have any food? He's like, yeah, absolutely. He goes, where's your warriors? He goes, they're coming, they're coming. I wonder if you want to make sure Dog heard that, Dog the Edomite that was against him. He was like, looked at Dog and he's like, yeah, my guys are coming. That's, that's code word for, I'm not telling the priest what's going on, but I want Dog to know, I got boys right outside the door. Don't try anything. Now, Dog is sitting here like, this is my moment. I could take David out right now. But then Dog thought, or could I? 
I've seen this guy kill people left and right. David was a killer. We forget this about David. He would come home from work soaked in blood. What'd you do? Kill another dude today. Okay, let's go have dinner. I mean, that was just a normal day for David. He would go to war all the time. And so he was a natural born killer. We forget this. He wrote all the Psalms saying, oh, this sweet, soft David. No, that wasn't David. David wrote Psalms, but he would also, he was a poet killer. So he shows up and he's like, hey, do you have any food? That'd be great. And the priest is like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, n- nothing. We're, we're figuring stuff out, but could you just give me some food? He looks over at Doge. Doge knows what's going on. Doge works for Saul. And David must have just stared at him, looking at him like, don't mess with me. Don't you try one thing. And then Doge's sitting there going, I want to do this right now. I mean, this is like a John Wick moment in the Bible. <laughs> They're staring at each other. They're in God's house, Right? And so it's this moment. And then look what happens. I love this scripture. So powerful. David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or sword? So he's sitting there staring at his enemy and go, hey, priest, you got a weapon with you? I'm sure Doug's like, no, 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 no. So it's like this intense moment, right? Do you have a spear or a sword? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't even have time to grab a weapon. Then look what the priest says. I only, I, I have I only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. The priest replied, it's wrapped in the cloth behind the ephod. Take it if you want it, for there's nothing else here. And David said, there is nothing like it. David replied, give it to me. <laughs> so now he hands him this huge sword. Now he turns to, to, to Doge like, what's up? You want some of this? Doge's like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And so at this point, he takes his sword Right? And he slowly backs out. This is what he's doing. He's just like, I'll see you in a minute. Just if you want me to just get out of here, I'll see you in just a few minutes. Doug's doing the same thing. Yeah, I'll see you. I'm ready. I'll be right back with my boys. I mean, this is what's going on. This is an intense moment, right? But he says, you have a sword? He goes, yeah, I got a sword. But the only sword I got, David, is the sword you gave us years ago. When you killed that Philistine, you took his sword and you cut his head off with it. Let me show you the scripture on that. Let's back it up to 1 Samuel 17. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from the, its sheath and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Now, it didn't say this was David's sword. It was Goliath's sword. David had a slingshot. He had hit him in the head with a rock. It sunk into his head. We don't know if he died right then or fell. And he was, his brain was all freaked out because of the rock. His body's still breathing. David sees that, grabs his giant sword and cuts his head off with it. Let me tell you something. The enemy, may be, the enemy may be coming to you, something that intimidates you, but what the enemy has in his hands, you will kill the enemy with. The very thing the enemy comes at you with is actually your weapon. It's your sword. The thing that you think is stopping you is going to propel you. The thing you think is holding you back, God's going to use. The thing you think is in your way, God's about to use in a powerful way. Let's go. God will use that. And he will propel you forward through that problem. He will propel you forward through the difficulty that you're facing right now. What am I trying to tell you? Number three, sometimes it takes an old sword to slay a new giant. It takes an old sword. Let me tell you what this means. This means God's trying to remind you something. Quit looking at TikTok. This is what you need to solve your problems. Quit looking to the world's ways. This is an old sword, but it still works. This still will lead your family. This still will give you success. This still works in every area of your life. But we all, but that's old. Yeah, it can be old, but this still can cut both ways. That may be an old sword, but it'll still take the enemy's head off. I promise you. So I want to challenge you. Don't give up on the word of God. It's an old sword, but it's a bad sword. It cuts. It'll cut you and I to the truth. 
And it cuts the enemy as well. And so it's an old sword. It's an old faith. Go back to that. Sometimes you need an old sword to fight a new giant. Now, I love how it says the priest said, oh, the sword is right behind the ephod. What's the ephod? The ephod is a gigantic apron, not like a womanly apron, but like a warrior apron that they would put on. The priest would go with the ephod on him into the presence of God. And it's a little mysterious. We don't know all the details of how this worked, but it had all kinds of precious stones all over it. More on that in a moment. But it, was, it had gold, precious stones. It, it, there, there was a great, beautiful display on it. And somehow the priest would look at that and would hear from the word of God through it. And so it represented the word of God speaking to the priest so he could bring that to the people. Now, by the way, the ephod weighed 70 pounds. This is something I can relate to. Because as, as, as someone who brings the word of God, I want to tell you something, it's heavy on me. I actually tell my family, don't fight with me on a Friday or Saturday because I got to bring the word on Sunday. I'm already carrying a weight. Please don't add to the weight. You want to fight with me? I'll fight with you Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> we got something we need to work out. We can work it out. But do not mess with me on Friday and Saturday because you're messing with the word of God. I got to bring the word. Does that make sense? Anyone who preaches knows that you're carrying a weight to bring the word of God. But I also want to point this out. So he would bring the, he would bring the word to the people after we hear from God. So God, the, the, the priest says, the sword is on the other side of the ephod, of the word. Here's the point. When you come to church, when you get the word, you also get weaponized. My goal is to weapon you up for the battle that you are in. My son, this is really cool. The last time I preached, I was not a grandfather. Today, I'm a grandfather. And I love it. It's so fun. I mean, this little girl is so beautiful. She's beautiful. She's sinless for now. And she is gorgeous. I can't stop staring at her. When I hold her, I just want to sit there and look at her all day long. We had the privilege the other day of babysitting for the first time. It was awesome. I love, if I had known grandkids are this fun, I would have been a lot nicer to their parents. I'm telling you, <laughs> it is awesome. I'm loving it. And so I just stare, stare at her. My wife holds her to the same way. We're just both just sitting there staring at her the whole time. My wife thinks she's a doll because she just plays dress up with her constantly. She's always putting new cute little outfits. She's like, oh, no, she needs a bow. I'm like, she needs a bow? She's like, yes, she needs a bow. I'm like, okay, I didn't know this. You know. So she's dressing her up constantly. She's gorgeous. But my wife and I have this problem now. We both want to hold the baby. So I call my wife the ball hog. I'm like, you got to share. She's like, I don't want to share. I'm like, you got to share. She is awesome. But I got to be honest with, when you, with you. One of the first times I held her, one of my first thoughts was, does my son Mason have a weapon? Because now he has his own home that he needs to defend. So that thought went through my mind. I know some people are uncomfortable talking about weapons, but, but if you're gonna study the word of God, you gotta talk about weapons. Because David always had a weapon, and when he didn't, he felt vulnerable, like, I need a weapon. But a weapon always comes with the word. The word is a weapon. When you get the word of God, you have a weapon on you. This next series we're about to, be, uh, about to start next week is called As For Me, My House. I'm so excited about it. It's a family series, but I gotta tell you, the main emphasis of the series is gonna be towards men. And let me tell you why. Because I believe the reason families are vulnerable right now is because men aren't weaponed up. So we're gonna weapon you up, men. And now those of you single moms are gonna go, oh, well, this doesn't count for me. Yes, it does. The Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless. You just keep coming to the house of God, God will provide plenty of godly fathers to influence your children. 
So be in God's house. And by the way, there's many warrior women in the Bible, but most of the time it was because men weren't doing their jobs. So men, it's time for us to step up and lead and protect our families. That's what Ask For Me, My House is all about. Don't miss it. Do not miss this series. But he says, hey, I need a weapon. He's like, I got your weapon. It's right on the other side of the ephod. I, I, I love this simple principle. God wants to weapon you up. By the way, we got weapons all over our church. Just gonna let you know in case you didn't know that. Now we have them in the right hands. You know, they're professionals. They're, we have a lot of former military. We got FBI, CIA, former CIA, DIA. We've got um, Secret Service. I mean, you, 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 there are people with weapons all around you. I, I hope that makes you feel safer, not unsafe. And so just, just know that. And all of our campuses too, by the way, all of them. Yeah. And uh, we want to take as many people to heaven as we can. And so if you come in here, we're going to tell you about Jesus. If you come in here with the wrong motives, we're also going to help you meet Jesus. Either way, we can play this. You let me know. That's how we roll. Okay, so. Sometimes it takes an old sword to slay a new giant. Last thing I want to show you is this. So David escaped from Saul and went to King Achish of Gath. So he's got that sword in his hand. He's looking at Doug. He's like, see you soon. David's like, see you in just a little while. And Doug's like, oh yeah, I'll see you. I'm coming for you. He's like, I know you are and I'll be ready. I'm, I mean, this is what's going on right now. This is like a UFC. Dana White would love this moment. And he'd be like, yes, let's go. I mean, it was like, it was on. They were ready to fight, right? So David just backs out, he's got a sword in his hand, he's got his boys waiting for him. He gets outside and he starts to run because he knows Saul's got way more men, clearly. So he's on the run. And so David is so desperate, he goes to his enemy's camp. This is not uncommon. We're about to see in a political season people who don't even like each other that will group up because the only thing they have in common is they both hate their opponent. This is what politics is about, right? These people don't even like each other, but suddenly they're best buds because they're both against that guy. So that's what we see happening here. So David goes to Gath. This is basically where the Philistines are. The Philistines hate David. I mean, he's the guy who killed their greatest warrior, you know? So he shows up and David, he's so desperate. He's just trying to find anyone that'll be in this corner. Here's what happens. So David escaped from Saul, went to the king Achish of Gath, but the officers of Achish were unhappy about his being there. Isn't this David, the king of the land, they asked? Isn't he the one that people honor with dances singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands? David heard these comments and was very afraid of what King Achish of Gath might do to him. I love what he does. So he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. So he's like, <laughs> he's looking crazy. They're like, what is wrong with this guy? Let me tell you what he's doing. He knows that the people of Gath, commentators will tell you this if you study the word here, he knows that they have a belief that anyone who's crazy has an evil spirit on them. And if they kill them or hurt them, that spirit will jump to them. So he's using their crazy belief against them. It's brilliant tactic, right? So he's just like, <laughs> he's acting nuts. <laughs> like, what is he doing, right? So, so he does this to get out of there, right? He pretended to be insane, scratching on doors, drooling down his beard. Finally, King Akish said to his men, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around. He basically said, get out of here, right? She's like, nah, And so he gets out, right? Now, I know that sounds funny, but let me just ask you something. Have you ever just had to do what you gotta do? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, how many of you guys have had a boss like that? You're like, I just think you're the best. I love you so much and I'm so happy even though you can't stand them, which like, I gotta do what I gotta do. I wanna keep this job. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. You don't feel that way, but you gotta do it to make everybody good, right? 
Now, none of my staff ever be shaking their head on this point. None of you <laughs> better be doing this. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do, right? The Bible talks a lot about victory, but sometimes the Bible talks about surviving. You just got to get through. Sometimes you just got to get through and that's okay. That's also winning. Just get through, take the win, right? Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But I want to point something out. David's enemy reminds him of who he is. Isn't this the guy who they sing, he'll slain his 10,000, Saul kill his thousand. David, his, why would God allow his enemy to say it to him? Because God was using the enemy to remind David, you're the one who killed 10,000, Saul only killed a thousand. I'm just reminding you, David, first of all, remind you by giving you the old sword of the old victory. But next I'm reminding you of the song they sang after he used that sword. What's God doing? This is important. It, sometimes it takes an old sword to slay a new giant, but also remember your victories of old. God has done it before and he'll do it again. God's trying to say, why are you acting all scared now when last year I gave you a great victory? When last season you got through it? Why are you acting like your marriage is over now? You've been through stuff in your marriage before and you're fine. Why are you acting like it's all over because your, your kid makes a bad decision? Your kid made a bad decision three years ago, got through it. In other words, why are you freaking out over your current problem when God got you through the last problem? God's got your back. Trust the Lord. He will take care of you. Now, let me tell you why this matters, because a lot of you want to come and hear a word from God. You're like, I want to hear something new about God's word. I want something new. I want something I never know about God's word before. That's great, but here's the problem with that. We don't need to know more of the Bible. We need to obey the Bible we already know. Amen. How many of us are wanting a new word because we don't want to obey the old word? I just want to challenge you with this. Let me ask you something. To get in shape, do you need new information? How many of you guys are like, I know how to do it. I'm just not doing it. Like, I know what to eat. I just don't want to eat that. I know what not to eat, but I want to eat that. I know I should be more active, but I don't want to be active, right? So it's not new information you need to get in shape, is it? It's using the information you already know. Guys, I hate to break it to you, but you don't need a new word from God. You need to obey the old word from God. Just obey his word. It's not complicated. I don't know how to turn my marriage around. The Bible's real clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? But what does it say? It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands. Very clear. It's incredible clear. You love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. And what, if you start doing that, oh, what a shock. Your marriage turns around. I don't know what to do with my kids. I tell you what the Bible says. Discipline them, love them, lead them in the Lord, take them to the house of God. If you're doing those things, eventually things will turn around. So we do know what to do. We're just not doing it. So we just have to get back to obeying the word of God. Last thing about that ephod. It's got all these gems and stones all over it. But the biggest thing on that ephod were 12 unique large stones that represented the 12 stones of Israel. They represented 12 tribes. Each stone represented a tribe. Let me tell you why this matters. Because the priests would come out from here from God and say, here's what the Lord told me. And those 12 tribes would unite in obeying that. If you want to know the strength of our church, here it is. Here is how our church has become 10,000 strong, six campuses, an incredible outreach ministry around the world as well as locally. How has all that happened? Because one thing I love about you guys is that when we, when we point to a direction God's leading us, you just jump on. You just focus on it. I love that. One of the unique things about a church that, that, that I love is in 25 years, we've never had a church split, not once. Because we're united under a clear vision, not a perfect vision, but a clear vision that God's called us to. Well, I don't always get it right, but you guys give me some grace on that. And I seek the Lord with all my heart. And, and when God speaks to me, I tell you what that is. And we move in that direction. 
There's great power in that. And I want to tell you that God's given me a clear direction for this fall. This fall, the Lord's put in my heart to weaponize you. That's what I'm going to do all fall. I'm going to weaponize you with the word of God. I want to put a weapon in your hands so you can fight. That's my goal. In doing that, I'm so proud of our church. Everyone's worked so hard to get, to get Portland ready. I'm so proud of everyone. We, we've been diligent. We've been working. I mean, people have busted their butts. I'm so proud of our staff, our team. They've worked overtime to get things ready. Have I showed you all the video yet? Did I show you that yet? Let me show you this video right now of Portland just to show you what God's doing. We're excited. We're going to turn this into commercial this week as well, but check this out. Portland, Texas. Get ready. The time has finally come. Church Unlimited is coming to you. You do not want to miss this week at Church Unlimited Portland. We'll see you here. It's go time. It's this week. If you live in Portland or anywhere near it, we're asking you this next Sunday to show up. 8.30, 10, or 11.30. Bring your family, bring your friends. We are so excited about it. We're doing three services to make sure we have room for overflow. And so don't miss this weekend. We've worked so hard for you. Some of you have been praying for years. Oh, God, please bring my church to me. We just did. We brought your church to you. Now, will you obey the Lord and come and bring your friends and your family? We are excited to make an impact in Portland, Texas. Let me also challenge you at all of our campuses to bring people. In fact, we made these cards. We're going to give them to you on the way out. They say, as for me and my house. This is an invite card to give to your family and your friends and to bring them to church this next Sunday. I'm super excited about this series. Maybe you have a friend or family member who's going through it. Maybe they got a difficulty in their family, their marriage, problem with their kids. I want to encourage you to bring them to this series. I promise you it will inspire them and it will equip and weaponize them for the battle that they are in. And so would you pray with me right now? Let's just bow our heads and pray and ask God to bless the opening of our new campus, to bless as across all services, we unite under this vision. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to give you one last scripture. Go out into the country and urge anyone you find to come in so that my house will be full. God wants us to invite someone. So right now, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts across all of our campuses? Would you put on our heart a very specific person, a family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor that we can invite and bring to church this next week? God, put that on our heart right now. As God begins to give you a name, would you lift your hand high if God gives you a specific name of someone to invite to church? Come on, people, come on. Who's God telling you to bring? Thank you, their hand's going up. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's a brother-in-law. Maybe it's a coworker, someone you work out with. Hold your hand high. Come on, all of our campuses. Let's do the work of the evangelists. Remember we talked about how we're all unified on this vision. This fall, we want to reach people like never before. Will you join us? That just means in simple terms, you bringing someone. Father, we commit to bringing these people next week to ask for me in my house for this new series. God, we pray specifically that you would bless the opening of the Portland campus. May this building, this facility, and this church and these people give you glory and impact the city of Portland and beyond. Thank you, God, as a church, we unite to pray for them we also unite as a church to do our part to bring people to our campus. Those of you who are online, you can also commit. Maybe you say, I just watch online. Commit to invite someone to join you and watch online from their home too. 
You can be a digital evangelist and invite someone as well. Father, thank you that we can do our part today. I pray your blessings over each of our efforts as we bring someone to church, whether it's online or in person or at Portland, God. We commit right now to reaching our community one person at a time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've never given your life to Christ, you can receive him right now by praying a very simple prayer. Would you pray this prayer with me? You can just say this out loud. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins and I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you just received Christ, would you just lift your, your hand high right now? If you just gave your life to Christ, hold your hand high. Thank you. There are hands going up all across our churches. Thank you for that. We see your hands. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Right there at Padre Island. Praise God. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stone Oak. Praise God. Thank you, Rockport Fulton. We see your hands all the way over there at Rodfield. Praise God. Thank you. Just hold your hand high if you just gave your life to Christ. We praise God for you. Right here at the broadcast. Those of you who are online, you can put it in the text chat. Just text, my hand's raised. That means you've given your life to Christ. Father, thank you for what you're doing in your church. Thank you for what you're doing among your people. And thank you, Lord, that we are united in reaching our community for Christ. Thank you, God. We will do our part. Next week, we won't show up with excuse. We'll show up with our friend. Lord, just bless our efforts to invite them to bring them to church. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.